morning. The title of this morning's message is Blessed with Abraham the Believer. This morning I want to talk to you about Abraham, his faith, God's grace, and how those two things work together. I took the title of this morning's message from Galatians 3, verse 9, in the New American Standard Version, which says this, So then, those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham the believer. I really like that, Abraham the believer. The King James says it this way, you're blessed with faithful Abraham. Now, we could maybe question that translation if we look at Abraham's tendency to lie. <laughs> in the ESV, they call him Abraham the man of faith. And in the EMT version, it calls him believing Abraham. All of these descriptions convey the idea that Abraham believed God. But I like the fact that the New American Standard Version interprets it in such a way that it conveys that it wasn't just something Abraham did. It was who he was. It was his identity. He was a believer in the one and only true and living God. Abraham even called his friend God by his personal name, Yahweh. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us much about how exactly Abram before he became Abraham later, how he came to know God. But it does tell us that God spoke to him and that Abram mostly did what God told him to do. And we see this in Genesis chapter 12. I have it written for you in the name of God version because I want you to see God's names. Verse 1, Yahweh said to Abraham, leave your land your relatives, and your father's home. Go to the land I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. Through you, every family on earth will be blessed. So Abram left, as Yahweh had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. Abram set out for Canaan. He took along his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all the possessions that they had accumulated and the servants that they had acquired in Haran. And they arrived in Canaan, and Abraham traveled through the land to the oak tree belonging to Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land, and Yahweh appeared to Abram and said, I am going to give this land to your descendants. And so he built an altar there to Yahweh, who had appeared to him. He moved on to the hills east of Bethel, and he put up his tent, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. He also built an altar to Yahweh there and worshipped Yahweh. Abram kept moving toward Negev. What I want you to see is that Abram had an up-close and personal relationship with God. He called God by his personal name, and everywhere Abram went, he built an altar to worship Yahweh. So we can see that they had a relationship and fellowship. The Lord, Yahweh, both spoke to Abram and appeared to Abram. But as real as God had made himself to Abram, Abram still did not have complete trust in Yahweh, his God, in every situation. God told Abram to leave his country and his relatives. But Abram <laughs> brought his nephew Lot along. 
that's sort of obedient, right? <laughs> he at least he got up and he left. <laughs> and then there's the whole story of Abram lying to the king of Egypt and getting his wife to lie for him too <laughs> so that no one would kill him in an effort to take his wife from him. So we see right away the promise God made to Abram was not contingent upon Abram's complete obedience. <laughs> Abraham actually obeyed according to his faith. Human beings always act according to what they really believe. It's like Joseph Prince often says, right believing leads to right living. So you can see right away that Yahweh, the up-close-and-personal, covenant-keeping God, was not dealing with Abram according to his obedience or even according to his faith. God was dealing with Abram according to grace. <laughs> he was dealing with Abraham according to his unmerited favor, his absolutely free loving-kindness. He dealt with Abram according to his own goodness not according to Abram's. <laughs> and of course, we can absolutely see just how unfair this promise-keeping grace actually is by how God deals with Pharaoh. In chapter 12, verse 14, it says this, When Abram arrived in Egypt, the Egyptians saw how very beautiful his wife was. When Pharaoh's officials saw her, they raved about her to Pharaoh. So Sarai was taken to Pharaoh's palace. And everything went well for Abram because of her. And he was giving sheep and cattle and donkeys and males and female slaves and camels. He lied and he thought he was going to get away with it. <laughs> However, Yahweh struck Pharaoh and his household with terrible plagues on behalf of Sarai, Abram's wife. Then Pharaoh called Abram. What have you done to me? He asked. Why didn't you tell me that she's your wife? Why did you say she's my sister? and allow me to take her for my wife. Here's your wife, <laughs> take her and go. <laughs> Pharaoh gave his men orders concerning Abram and they sent Abram away with his wife and all the stuff he got. <laughs> now this seems very unfair. <laughs> Pharaoh didn't do anything wrong, yet he's the one that got the plagues, not Abram. Don't you think that the one who actually lied and deceived everyone should be the one to get the punishment? Of course we do. <laughs> but the plagues were not actually a punishment. They were a sign. They were a sign to a pagan king who understood the sign. He understood plagues. Plagues means there's something wrong and somebody's God is mad. <laughs> now, we don't know exactly how the king came to the conclusion that him taking Sarai into his harem was the problem, but he did get the message loud and clear, and he did do exactly what God told him to do. He gave Sarai back to Abraham and actually spared Abraham's life, because if anyone else <laughs> had deceived the king, <laughs> they would be dead. <laughs> and Abram still walked away being blessed. Now, what do you think Abram was supposed to learn from this? Was he supposed to learn that lying gets you everything you want in the long run? No. <laughs> was he supposed to learn that giving your wife away is an acceptable way of saving your own bacon? 
No. <laughs> Maybe he was supposed to learn that Yahweh, the up close and personal, promise keeping God, actually had his back. And he really already had a plan for both of them to be safe, not just him, <laughs> not just Abram. Maybe he was supposed to learn that this God was so big that he could turn even Abram's stupid, fearful mistakes around for good. Not according to Abram's faith, but according to God's own goodness and plan. Maybe that was what he was supposed to learn, but he didn't. <laughs> he did the same thing again. <laughs> he still hadn't yet learned to trust Yahweh with his own safety. Even though Yahweh, the promise-keeping God, had powerfully demonstrated his own faithfulness to keep his promises. God had told him in Genesis 12, 2 and 3, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. It means I will prosper you in every area of your life. Every area of your life. In the safety realm, I will protect you. <laughs> I will keep you safe. I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will make you a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. That's what happened to the king of Egypt. <laughs> Through you, every family on earth will be blessed, empowered to prosper. How exactly would God do any of that if he let Abram die? <laughs> he wouldn't. He couldn't. <laughs> so obviously the promise did not sink in to the point where Abram's heart could believe that Yahweh God would protect him in order to bring the promise to pass. Now I want to show you these two verses in the Young's literal translation. The Young's literal translation does not have a future tense. In our Bibles, translators correct the English. <laughs> so we really kind of miss a lot of the emphasis that's actually there. God never spoke to him in a future tense. He never said, I will bless. This is what he actually said. I make thee. Not I'm going to do something for you. I make you. <laughs> I make you become a great nation. I and bless, present tense. Right now, you are, because I say so, blessed, empowered to prosper in every area of your life. And right now, I make your name great. The world may not know it yet, but I'm the one that makes your name great. And be thou a blessing. This is all a present tense reality. This is how Abram heard it. I make you. I make you these things. <laughs> I bless right now those blessing thee. And him who is disesteeming of the curse, I curse. And blessed, past tense, in thee have been all families of the ground. That's the important part. Blessed, period. Past tense, in thee have been Past tense, all families of the ground. God speaks in a it's already done language. He speaks in an already present and already past tense. 
That's what God wanted Abraham to believe, that it's a finished work of my grace. <laughs> and it's not a work of your hand. <laughs> you tried to protect yourself and you did a lousy job. <laughs> Let me do it. <laughs> it wasn't something that would come true. It was already true. But Abram was still learning to trust the word and character of God. And the next time he lied to save his own neck, God again intervened for the sake of the promise. He cannot break his word. It's already done. He's not going to go undo it. <laughs> he always keeps his promises. God made Abram another promise in Genesis 15. In this chapter, God promises Abram a son, beginning with verse 1. This is the L-E-B version. After these things, the word of Yahweh, you'll notice here, it capitalized. I always read that as a voice appeared and spoke to him. <laughs> but there are many scholars who say, no, no, we ought to be capitalizing this because this is not a word. This is the word. This is Jesus Christ pre-incarnate. We need to know who it is that showed up. <laughs> His name, as we know it, is Jesus. So the word of Yahweh came to Abram in a vision. See, this is another thing. You don't see what you hear. <laughs> if, if he's seeing something, it isn't a verbal. A person, a representation showed up to speak to him on behalf of Yahweh, the God of Israel, that would be someday be Israel. Do not be afraid. I am your shield, and your reward shall be very great. What you don't see in this is what came before. I always just picked this right out of there. I thought, well, God always has to tell us, don't be afraid. <laughs> but you see, what we don't realize is, is he had a reason to be afraid. Five kings decided to attack four kings. In the midst of all of that, they took Lot. So Abraham, because he didn't listen, <laughs> had brought Lot to a place where he would get captured. <laughs> so of course, Abraham feels responsible. <laughs> so Abraham goes and rescues miraculously rescues Lot and brings him back. Well, there's all these mad kings now. <laughs> so what happens in the long run is you see where Abram blesses Melchizedek, the king of Salem. That's one of the kings that was in the midst of all this battle. The reason he was saying to Abram, he gave all of the riches, all of the spoil. He said, I want Lot. <laughs> and the men who were fighting, give them their share. And I don't want anything else. I don't want anyone to say that you made me rich because I have a God who is the God who has already blessed me and made me rich. <laughs> so ain't nobody going to be saying some other king made me rich. So he had reason to be afraid. It was a real reason. <laughs> we don't usually get that intent. He had a real reason to be afraid. And God says, no, don't be afraid. Why? I am your shield. I am your protection. I am. And your reward shall be great. I like the King James better. He is your very great reward because everything is in him. Verse 2. Then Abram said, O Yahweh, my Lord, what will you give me? I continue to be childless, and my heir is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Look, 
you have not given me a descendant. And here, a member of my household is my heir. And behold, the word of Yahweh, pre-incarnate Christ, came to him saying, this person will not be your heir, but your own son will be your heir. And he brought him outside. I love this. See, I see it. Jesus is, is there and he's saying, come on, come on, come outside with me. I want to show you something. <laughs> hey, look, look at that. Look at all that majesty. <laughs> he says, look towards the heavens and count the stars if you're able to count them. And he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Let's look at that verse in the Young's literal. And he bringeth him out without and saith, look attentively, pay attention. <laughs> I pray thee towards the heavens and count the stars, if thou art able to count them. And he saith to him, thus is thy seed, period. Not gonna be. That's not what Abram heard. He said, right now, in, in the heavens, this is real and this is true and it exists. <laughs> Thus is thy seed. The word of God himself, the pre-incarnate Christ, declares what is already true. In other words, there's no way this will not happen because in God's economy, it already has. He gives Abram a visual aid, the stars. <laughs> the innumerable amount of stars combined with the word of God himself <laughs> convinces Abram's heart. God had also given him the sand and the dust of the earth as a visual aid. God says we need to remember. <laughs> we need to remember. And so Jesus, see, you see all that? That's done. You see all the grains of the sand? It's already done. Just as the stars are already there and the sand is already there, so is your seed. God does not mind repeating himself for us to be able to truly believe. And then verse 6. And he believed in Yahweh, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. The word in is just added for clarity by English. Uh, it isn't actually there. So it says, he believed Yahweh, the up-close-and-personal, covenant-keeping, promise-keeping God. He believed him. <laughs> Abram really believed that him <laughs> was true. And if him is true, then all of his promises are true, too. And all of his promises were of grace, not reward. Abram certainly did not earn this promise, or God's goodness, or the power to be blessed, or the opportunity to be made right. But God himself took the responsibility to help Abram believe. Abram saw and experienced God's goodness and faithfulness, but it was the word of God himself who was finally able to help Abram see the truth of who God really is. He is the one who has created the stars. He is the one who can see the past as the present. He's the one who is more than able to do above and beyond all that we can ask, think, or imagine. Something happened to Abram's heart. Something on the inside of him clicked. The light broke through into his heart, and he could see in a way he couldn't see before. And his heart became fully persuaded. Faith 
erupted and took hold of the truth of who God is and what God had promised. Faith wasn't something Abram manufactured. Faith was something that came from the word of God himself speaking. Recently, I heard a minister say this. Faith isn't something we do or something that we conjure up. It's something that happens to us. I love that. You see, I get that. <laughs> I understand the moment when my heart is convinced of something, and I know it belongs to me because he says it's all of grace and it's already done, but I, I don't have it in my hand yet. <laughs> Just like Abram, I know it's true, I know it's real, but I don't have it in my hand yet, but that doesn't change the fact that I know it's true. And when that light, when God speaks, and the light breaks through the unbelief. My heart is convinced, and there is peace, because I have come to the place where my faith has received what God has said. Faith comes when our eyes are open to the truth of a good, good father, not a mad, mad father. <laughs> a father who loves us with an everlasting love, who loved us in eternity past and will love us into eternity future. A father who has given us himself, his very life, his very heart through his only son. And who together, father and son, have done for us and as us what we could not do for ourselves. Together they provided freedom from sin and death by imputing, legally transferring, our sins and iniquities into the body of Jesus who then took it all into the grave and through death destroyed its power to rule and reign over us. Then the Father physically raised Jesus to life again to prove that sin had no power over him and that he was who he said he was. And he came to do what he said he came to do. The word of God himself, the love of the Father himself, the life of God himself rescued us. In the book of John, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It tells us that God the Father so loved the world, not just the Jews, but the entire world, that he gave us his Word, spoken and physical. He gave us his Word, Jesus. He gave us his Son, Jesus. He gave us his promise, Jesus so that whosoever would believe on him should not perish, but would have, hold, and possess everlasting life. When he says, will have everlasting life, no, have, hold, and possess. You keep it. <laughs> it's not coming someday in the future. We got it now. It's a present reality. When we finally see the truth and the reality of what God says in his word, and the Holy Spirit ministers that truth to our heart, our heart becomes fully persuaded. It is the truth of the written word of God combined with the spoken word of God through the Holy Spirit that persuades our hearts and brings us into faith. And when Abram's heart was thoroughly convinced and fully persuaded and that what he said was true and good, that's when God imputed, legally transferred, Abram into right standing. We see this truth in Romans 4, verse 3. It says this, For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. 
Now, I have the words here that aren't actually in the Greek in parentheses. It was and unto. That's important. Now, when we look at the original Greek words, it actually says this. Abraham believed God, and it is implied, and God imputed, legally transferred, him into righteousness. Now, this is important. <laughs> because so much of the world says, if you make enough faith, God will do something for you. Here, the scholars translated it, counted it for righteousness, as if it's an exchange. You come up with the faith, and then I will give you salvation in exchange for that. No. <laughs> we are not saved by faith. We are saved by grace, and it is apprehended by faith. I love this. It makes much more sense to me when I see it this way. Now, I understand why scholars have translated it the way they do, because that's how it's translated in the Old Testament, the same scripture, Genesis 15, 6. And he believed in the Lord, which is actually Yahweh, and he counted it to him for righteousness. But you know what it actually says? He believed Yahweh, and then it's implied, Yahweh imputed, legally transferred righteousness. Not for righteousness, because the word for means in place of. <laughs> the substitute for, or on behalf of, and that's not what it says. God both imputes, legally transfers, right standing to us, and us into right standing. <laughs> what I love about this is that Abraham believing God and believing in God had nothing to do with sin. He's not even talking to him about salvation. He says, I want you to know who I am. I want you to know what I can do. I want you to know you can trust me to be everything you need. I will be your protector. Just believe me. Go ahead. <laughs> it was about Abraham believing that God was full of grace and completely faithful to his word. It's the very opposite of what Adam and Eve did. They didn't really believe that God was a good God of grace and goodness. They believed the lie that God was keeping good things away from them. Their sin was unbelief. And all sin comes from the same place, unbelief. It's us trying to do it in our own strength. <laughs> it's us trying to protect ourselves. <laughs> unbelief is not trusting that God is good and only good and that he simply wants us to believe the truth about who he is and what he says. Now, just a few verses after God says that he has imputed, legally transferred, righteousness unto Abram. In other words, he has right standing with God now, which I think is funny because God's been helping him the whole time, and he hasn't mentioned it. <laughs> God continues to help Abram with his believing. God has promised him a child, but one hasn't appeared yet. So he asks, how do I know this will happen? <laughs> it's very much like Mary's question to the angel who told her that she would have a child. How will this be exactly? <laughs> you know I'm a virgin, right? <laughs> and technically the answer for both questions is the same. It is a work of God's hand, and it's all of grace. All you have to do is believe. Mary's answer is appropriate too for Abram. May it be unto me according to thy word. 
God then has Abram collect all the necessary animal sacrifices to cut a covenant. Abraham understands covenant. Covenant is serious business, deadly serious, in fact. Abram prepares the pieces appropriately, cutting most of them in half, and then he prepares himself because he understands what covenant is. He prepares himself to be able to walk through the pieces because that's what you do when you enter a covenant. This is a blood covenant. Abraham understood covenant. But something weird happened. <laughs> Instead of him walking through the pieces and the pre-incarnate Christ showing up, that's not what happened. They didn't both walk through the pieces. God put Abram in a sleepy sort of trance. He wouldn't even let Abram help <laughs> by keeping the predators away. Sometimes we like to help when we shouldn't. <laughs> and then in verse 17, it says this, And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. In the same day, the Lord Yahweh made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed I have given this land. And then he tells them the parameters. The smoking furnace would produce clouds of smoke, and the burning lamp would have produced flames of fire. Both of these are manifestations of God. So we have two representations of God that are going to walk through the pieces. God will, in the future of this event, manifest himself to Abraham's descendants as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. So God is the only one represented as a responsible party in this covenant. This is an unconditional covenant. Only one party is responsible to keep and enforce the terms of the covenant or the promise. In other words, it's a covenant of grace, a covenant of grant. It grants something as a favor without demanding certain stipulations of any kind be fulfilled in order to remain in this covenant. But God is making this covenant on behalf of Abram. So how is he represented in this covenant? Who is it that we see walking between the pieces? God and God. There's no Abram. And yet, two representatives in the midst of the pieces indicate that this covenant is between two parties. How is Abram represented? The same way we are, through God as a second person of the Godhead. Christ himself represents all of mankind, including Abram. This is the original covenant in which we are included. And God cuts a covenant with him on behalf of all humanity because he already knows that humans are not capable of being perfectly faithful. But Jesus is was and always will be. To walk between the pieces meant that both parties were saying, if I don't keep my end of the bargain, then what happened to these animals should also happen to me. That was common for them to understand, but there was also more. It also meant that they were promising, if necessary, I will lay down my life in order to keep this covenant promise. This is what convinced Abram that there was no way for this covenant promise to not come to pass. It had to. 
He saw the reality that God was faithful and would continue to be faithful, even if it cost him his own life. And of course, we now understand that that is exactly what happened. When I was studying the smoking pot and the fiery furnace, <laughs> I was like, okay, one is Jesus and one is the Father. Which is which, though? <laughs> well, the thing about this furnace, it was actually a portable oven. <laughs> they would insert it into the ground, and they would use it to bake and everything, but when it was time to leave, it came out of the ground and moved with them. Sound familiar? <laughs> Which one is Jesus? The one that is temporarily buried. <laughs> I like that part. <laughs> in order to get all of humanity into a covenant and a relationship of grace. This was always God's desire. Just know me. <laughs> a relationship of grace accessed by faith. God himself had to die in order to fulfill the promise that all of the families of the earth would be blessed through the seed. Romans 4.16 The promise depends on faith so that it can be experienced as a grace gift. This is the Passion Translation. And now it extends to all the descendants of Abraham. This promise is not only meant for those who obey the law, but also for those who enter into the faith of Abraham, the father of us all. Faith is what takes. We don't have to manufacture it. Galatians 5 through 8 in the Passion Translation say this. This is the Apostle Paul. And he says, let me ask you again. What does the lavish supply of the Holy Spirit in your life and the miracles of God's tremendous power have to do with you keeping religious laws? The Holy Spirit is poured out upon us through the revelation and power of faith, not by keeping the law. Abraham, our father of faith, led the way as our pioneering example. He believed God, and the substance of his faith released God's righteousness to him. So those who are the true children of Abraham will have the same faith as their father. God's plan all along was to bring this message of salvation to the nations through the revelation of faith. Long ago, God prophesied over Abraham, as the Holy Scriptures say, through your example of faith, all the nations will be blessed. This is the blessing of Abraham, that we have the same kind of covenant, a covenant of grace, not of works, and that we have access to everything God is and everything he has accomplished through the Lord Jesus Christ. I love the stories about Abraham's journey into being able to really trust God in his word. Abram, like us, grew in his ability to trust God. Abram learned to trust God through the tests and the trials. And he found that God was always true to his word. And that's really how we grow in our ability to trust God too. As we go through our journey and we take God's word and his promises and we hold them tight, knowing that he who promised is completely faithful, even if we aren't. I take comfort in seeing that Abram had a hard time. Yes! <laughs> He's just like us. <laughs> that Abraham had a hard time trusting God to keep him safe from danger. Not just once, but twice. 
it's often so easy to fear dangerous things like viruses and vaccines and riots. But when we lean, not on our own understanding, and acknowledge him in all of our ways, we will find that God has a plan to take us through our trials and tests safely. It's learning to rely on God's character and God's word and God's spirit. It is God himself through Jesus and the Holy Spirit who enables us to believe. He enables us to exercise the faith he births within us. Hebrews 12.2 in the Passion Translation says this. We look away from the natural realm. If you don't hear anything else today, hear that. <laughs> we look away from the natural realm and we fasten our gaze onto Jesus who birthed faith within us. It's one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. He birthed faith within us and who leads us forward into faith's perfection. We grow in our ability to trust God in every situation. His example is this, because his heart was focused on the joy of knowing that you would be his. He endured the agony of the cross and conquered its humiliation and now sits exalted at the right hand of the throne of God. It is true, you were always on his mind. You were always in his heart. And he declared that it was worth it, that you were worth it to go through it all. God has finished all the work, all the necessary work for salvation. And all of salvation's benefits are safely held for us in God's grace, where we learn through the Holy Spirit and God's word to trust our Father's goodness and unmerited favor. When the world gets crazy, and it does, <laughs> or when we find ourselves discomforted by what's going on in the world, we need to take time in the Word. We need to take the time to gaze on Jesus and hear what He has to say. Because when we hear Him, faith happens in our heart. When we see and believe and hear what He says, faith comes. We are blessed just like Abram to have a covenant of grace whereby we access everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us to glory and virtue. Amen? Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that we don't have to come up with faith. <laughs> I don't have to work hard to try to build faith. That is something that you do in me as I cooperate with you, as I sit at your feet and I drink from your cup. I find you. And the more I find you, the more I love you. <laughs> because the more I find how much you love me and what, how much you've already done for me, and that I, like Abram, can trust that it's already done, that you have already finished those things that concern me, and that as I rest in you, I will see those promises come to pass. Father, we thank you that you are intervening into America. You have already finished the work. And now we get to declare enough is enough. You say we don't have to put up with stuff like this, that we can speak to storms and we can speak to riots and we can speak to what's going on in the political realm. We can say enough. My God says righteousness will rule. My God, we will have what my God has bought and paid for. Father God, so we thank you. We thank you, Father God, that you 
are always in us to help us believe and come to that place of peace and rest in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.